On this episode, The Far Side, Browser Tabs, YouTube Analytics, and Reluctant Running. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Your hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Uh, today, I'm really excited to sit, introduce Brendan Leonard from semirad.com. And he's a guy that I've been, I first was introduced to years and years ago with an essay on uh, the Dirtbag Diaries, the mobile. And um, I thought, oh, this is, this is really cool. This is funny. And, and I, I had a chance to go visit the mobile station as a result of that and uh, have been following him on Instagram and his books. And actually, I have one of your drawings on the wall behind me, Brendan. Oh, awesome. And so um, welcome to the podcast, Brendan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, you, you tell us a little bit about yourself because you kind of are difficult for somebody to like, well, how would you describe like what you, who you are? Oh boy. I'm just a guy trying to avoid getting a real job, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I have a bunch of, uh, bunch of different creative things I do. Um, that's like, I do a little bit of illustration. I'm mostly a writer, I do a little bit of filmmaking. Um, yeah, gosh. Yeah. I'm just, I just scramble every day to like, attempt to to keep keep things afloat i guess you, you're very you're underselling what, what you do i think i think what you do is pretty amazing and and i often I, you know i don't necessarily recommend people to follow social media or do whatever generally but your semi rad is so amazing i mean if you're an outdoorsy person the the humor and the whatever and it's just so fantastic that, that if you're listening to this and you're you're probably following semi rad already but if you're not you definitely would want to follow this definitely it, should, should yeah i mean yeah. it's i think it's kind of the best thing going in that world you know well i appreciate we that yeah of course man yeah jeff i think i've been following you on twitter for like over a decade I'm like oh i don't know God. if there's if I can actually I, look up and see, I, how I long. should actually post something on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I get uh, doing that. <laughs> no, I get stage fright a lot. Yeah. Twitter, it's a tough, tough environment. You never know where it's going to go. So yeah, oh, I, I stopped about six years ago, five or six years ago. You can probably guess why when I give that timeline. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, where did uh, where did the idea for Simirad come up with? Like, how did it start? What what launched you into that? Um, yeah, I just was like trying to write for magazines um, for for a long time and still not really having a huge amount of success and um, decided to just put some of the goofy stuff that I had you know, going in my head on, on a website. So I started a website and I said, I'll, I'm going to post on here. I'm going to write one thing a week, um, for, you know, a year. And if it, if it goes well, I'll keep doing it. And if I hate it, then I'll stop. And, uh, thankfully it took off fairly, fairly early. Um, I mean, took off as a very aspirational verb there. I guess it like, it got noticed, got me a little bit of work. Um, and within a few years, I think, you know, I, my magazine writing stuff never really did take off. Like I didn't really write like a bunch of features every year or anything like that. But um, 
at one point, uh, an editor from a magazine from Backpacker, we were going back and forth uh, about a feature story I was trying to write, and he was trying to figure out where what the actual story was and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, just write it like you're going to write it for your blog. And I was like, whoa, okay. Because uh, it's <laughs> the stuff. Has he read your blog? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he must have. Yeah, because I think of the stuff as, like, um, very goofy and, like, really not you know, a lot of those magazines are concerned with reader service, you know, like giving people how to stuff and helpful insight. And mine was just like, kind of just making fun of us, I guess, all together. So um, it was kind of shocking for me. And then, you know, a few, few years ago, um, an editor at Outside Magazine approached me and said, Hey, we'd like to run your blog on our website. We'll just literally basically syndicate it you know for lack of a better word and um that's been going on since i think 2017 maybe 2016 or 2017 and a lot of weeks i send the stuff over to the editor i now work with and i'm like man i can't believe they print this like this is ridiculous (laughs) so because it's it's sort of off the wall and doesn't really i can't imagine ever pitching something to an actual editor that i pitched to myself (laughs) Um, like today I'm working on like alternatives to, um, energy gels. So it's like other foods that would be like gelatinous that you might take on a cranberry sauce, right? That's like, it's just like stuff like that. Yeah. That's a good one. I didn't actually think of that. Um, but but, pudding, but like pudding. Yeah. And tonight when I finish it, I'm going to send it to the editor. I work with it outside (laughs) Matt and be like, Hey Matt, here's the thing. And I don't know if he just like shakes his head or or what happens a lot of, a lot of times there. Um, But (laughs) it generally only a couple of times have they not just like, I think maybe they just, yeah. yeah, Or like they just like conveniently lose track of it or something like that. Cause (laughs) somebody's like, what is, what's the headline we actually put on here? This isn't, this is so meaningless or whatever, but I don't know. It's you're just, I'm, I guess I just throw shit at the wall every week and hopefully some of it sticks and I don't know. You know, some weeks I'm pretty sure nobody reads the thing I wrote and sent out my email newsletter. and I'll get like one note from somebody who'll be like, I love this. I'm like, well, that one was for you then because nobody else read it. (laughs) Well, that's kind of the the beauty of doing something as irreverent as that, right? Like, you you know, uh, your work is so irreverent and that's kind of neat. I always love that because it's like, you know, you don't get the broad appeal that you might get with certain other types of humor, maybe some of the things you do that are broader, but you do like, it's that much more special to that one person that was like looking about that joke, like, you know, 16 layers on top, jeans on the bottom was one I, I remember recently. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's like that, those, those, just those five people that get that and think that's hilarious and have noticed that, but it's that much more special when you, you know, when you reach those people. You hope so. And I like, the more I do it, the more I question whether or not you'd ever really want to get that big because you like with, just with the growth of everything, you, you know, as soon as it, things get big enough, you're going to have a lot of people who disagree with you or just want to like, make sure you have a bad day or you like the negativity, you know, grows exponentially when you're successful and people perceive you as being really successful. Um, so I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just small, like stay small enough to be ignored by a lot of people. Like, so <laughs> don't make don't yourself a big target. Is yeah. that it? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. I don't know. I just, I was just reading this. I like skimmed through this article about this guy who's like a TikTok star and how, and like the, 
the headline was something like how his uh, fan base became toxic. And it was like, he's like in his twenties. I forgot the guy's name. I'm not, I don't follow him or anything, but uh, he, yeah, he's in his twenties, but he makes this content that really appeals to like gen X women. And, and which is great for a while. And he has like millions of followers, but then they like, I think there was like some infighting and people, and I'm just like, Oh God, this this drama. Like, I don't want any part of any of this. Like I don't want people having a bad day because I exist, you know, in general. So, yeah. so, so two, two questions to follow up on that. First, what's your TikTok handle? <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not. Um, some, sometimes I see TikTok stuff on Instagram or Twitter or somebody will send me a link and I'm happy that it, you can get to it on like a laptop because then I don't have to join it. I can just watch yes. whatever video somebody sends me. And I mean, no question. There's some good stuff on there, but I just like at this point, I do not need one more thing distracting I, me from yeah. real work. I'm like, Oh God, that what a nightmare. I'll go down that hole and reemerge like two hours later. And like, what happened? You know, I, I'm the same. I'm exactly the same way. It's like they, I think Instagram and Facebook, like they both start showing you like reels and things that are kind of a lot of the stuff is the same content from TikTok or whatever. And it's like, yeah. I hate it. And at the same time, I find myself watching some of them. <laughs> it's like, I just, <laughs> it shows up and you're like, oh, what's that? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's some awful. brilliant, brilliant stuff on there and like really fun ways people create things. And like, I can't imagine like, like, oh, I'm glad these people have a voice and a channel and everything like that. But, mm. you know, I don't I don't necessarily need to consume literally everything in the universe. So or contribute. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. <laughs> Was your blog the first place? I mean, I don't I just think I feel like you've just always been part of my outdoor journey. I don't remember like where I first started seeing your little like cartoons and like illustrations and being like, mm -hmm. it's totally I can relate to all the humor. Um, where did you first start? And I had this picture of you like in the outdoors with a little notebook, like just sketching all your mm. random thoughts. <laughs> How did it all start really? Um, well, I started writing about outdoor adventure for Idaho magazine in 2004 for a grad school assignment, which I got paid $40. And then from there, I just kind of, I wrote for the mountain Gazette for quite a few years. And then, yeah, my blog, I started in 2011. And okay. I think I started, like I drew a flow chart somewhere, like maybe 2014 or 2013. And then I kind of gradually incorporated more of that sort of visual, like drawing stuff. And then I bought an iPad and like, was it 2016? End of the year 2016. So that thing is like five years old now. Same iPad. So just to make it more um, aesthetically you know, I was drawing on like graph paper, um, little notebooks. So, and I can't really draw, but I'm like, it's fun to make visual things for people. And, um, I'm using it for like a little, little bits of animation now for little film projects I'm working on, but yeah, it's, I use literally 1% of the capacity of this program, this app that's like, I mean, artists can do amazing things with it. And I'm just like, I have one brush that I work with and it's these like doodles that look like a 10 year old drum or six year old, I guess, or like a six year old. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well thanks. yeah. And like, I don't know, this is, I don't know. I hope you take it as high praise because it's about as high praise as I can give. It, it so reminds me of like the far side. Right. And then uh, that was such a rough, 
you know, the drawings were so rough, but it, it's all about the idea, right? And that's oh, that's yeah. where you just excel. You know what I mean? I mean, I think if you're animate, your your drawings were these amazing visual things. I don't think it, it wouldn't be as funny, right? Because it would distract from the idea, and that's yeah. that, that's what you're selling, you know, and that's what you're putting across. So, so let me get this straight. So you're you are, and I'm I'm just going to paraphrase from some of the things that you've written. You, these are your words. You're not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> you're, yeah, yeah. you're not a runner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not a you're not a an artist, and yet you're all of those things. Yeah. I to mean, us anyways, yeah. yeah, I guess like I think about it, and like there's, I mean, people who are driven to, to like really achieve highly in things and like be good at them, and like like if I just wanted to be really good at running, I potentially I could do a lot more. I'm not saying I'd be good, but I could do a lot better than I than I currently do. Like I could probably try to compete a little bit within my age group or whatever in a race or get faster times. But as it is, I like, I actually just like going and fucking around in the woods. And like, that's the whole goal for me, like is being able to be in shape to spend two or three or four or five hours running, you know, on trails. Um, same thing with like drawing and writing. And like, if I was to spend more time on one thing, yeah, maybe I could, get better at it but I kind of like using I kind of like incorporating them all and you know when I want to work on something I can pick the thing on the day the thing that feels least like work and like you know mess around with it a little bit and be like okay I'm going to do the drawings for this sort of book project today because I feel like doing that or I'm going to write today or whatever um, or I'm just going to not I'm just going to avoid work all day and clean my house um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I started following a lot of cartoonists on Instagram several years ago, and I realized that it wasn't like the aesthetic, like the drawing skill wasn't really relevant to how, I mean, it's nice for some of them. And some of the aesthetics of some people are like absolutely incredible. And like in the way children's books stick with you, these characters of people or their, the way they draw them really sticks with you. Um, but uh, like, for the joke it's almost irrelevant you know it's sometimes it can add a little bit to the joke but a lot of times it's just like this is just funny shit this idea i don't care how bad the drawing is you know so i don't know was gary larson like an inspiration to you were there other oh, people I mean, that inspired you as well as him that, that... yeah i read tons of his stuff yeah. growing up um just in the paper every you know yeah back when you used to get newspapers and then like um yeah like saturday night live Mm -hmm. A lot of stand-up comics, you know. Um, yeah, Kurt Vonnegut was huge. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of, if you try to write down all your quote-unquote influences, you end up with, like, this list of, it's fun. But, like, um, but yeah, Gary Larson is, is amazing. That's high praise for sure. Yeah, but and that, I meant it I, to be. <laughs> yeah, you just you just have yeah. so you have so many favorites of things people did that stuck with you. It's like a single panel, and you're like, oh my god, it's genius. Yeah, this is like yeah. the 65th episode, and you're the first person I've compared to Gary Larson. So again, oh, it's thanks. not it's not a compliment <laughs> that I throw out lightly. Just so you know, yeah. I don't want thanks. you to think that every guest gets compared to you know Gary Larson. Yeah. You're you're obviously the Gary Larson of the fly fishing world. Exactly. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually read 60 Meters to Anywhere and really, really enjoyed um, enjoyed it and your story and how it connected you to the outdoors. Um, what was it like going from sort of being no known at the time for like kind of the lighthearted, you know, like funny graphics 
sort of humor writing to then write a book that was a little bit more serious about your personal story? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think it's like, that's probably people's impression because I had been working on that book since like 2009, just like writing like chunks of it, you know, or actually like 2004, really. Um, and I think like if you, I don't know, I, I think one of the things about not being like hugely successful is that you can kind of shift a little bit and not, and pe people aren't always like, uh, like, um, like if you're, if you're in a really successful band and then you change your sound on your third album or fourth album and you're like, oh, I don't know. They're like, you're like Bob Dylan going electronic, um, uh, or electric, sorry, not electronic. You know, it's like you have the freedom to kind of shift a little bit and people aren't like, Hey, what are you doing? You're supposed to do this, you know? And, um, so yeah, I guess, I mean, that was like a story that I thought like, if I had anything that could really help somebody, I thought it was probably that one. Um, so, did, did, yeah. And, and just out of curiosity, did anyone accuse you of murdering Woody Guthrie or, you know, the kind know. of stuff that yeah. with Bob Dylan when he yeah. plugged in? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Could go back to being funny. You know, yeah. like, yeah. what's your problem? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, and like, I get, like, I think it's a reflection of being sort of earnest and open and vulnerable is like the feedback you get from that tends to be, it's like, you know, a lot, if somebody thinks something I did was funny, they'll like, there'll be a little bit of feedback or haha, this really made my day. My dog does the same thing your dog does or whatever, you know, and it's, it's like this little interaction, which is fun. I think people need that stuff. But sometimes when I get, um, emails or whatever, or my private messages about that book, it's like, I got to set them aside for a couple of days and respond when I have time to think and sort of, uh, match that person's effort and vulnerability in there. Cause they'll say, you know, Hey man, this is like really meaningful to me because my journey is X, Y, Z. And I like had a problem with whatever alcohol, heroin, eating disorder, something, so, you know, like something along those lines. And you can't just be like, LOL, high five emoji, you know, um, <laughs> right. responding to that. Yeah. So it's a, it very, it makes it, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it provokes a different sort of reaction, which is great. And I think it hopefully is meaningful to people. Um, um, cause I'm not getting rich. So that's, uh, that's what you hope, I guess. I was going to ask now, now are you, did you ask for a raise now that you're, you're pay, you know, there's the paywall between you and your audience on outside and all of that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just thankful they're still paying me. I'm like, right. whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, actually, I, I don't even, I don't know how that, I don't know how that's going to shake out or how often they, but like people, somebody complained about it on Twitter and they were like, they were really pissed. And I was like, well, all that stuff's on my website. If you want to just go there and right. even <laughs> yeah. reply, I yeah. was like, they why were would they so, go after you? Right. They were I mean, so angry. And I was yeah. like, Oh, I know. Imagine someone trying to make money off of work, you know, yeah. jeez, fuck that shit. <laughs> um, so no, they, uh, you know, like they, I was doing a weekly post for them. So everything that went on my blog went on their website and, um, they cut it in half at the beginning of the pandemic. Cause like, um, just for the uncertainty financially for the company and stuff like that. And then once things got figured out again, the editor I work with said, Hey, do you want to go back up to four times a month instead of two? And I was kind of like, you know, I'm having fun. Like, writing about frozen pizza and things that aren't relevant to the adventure world. So I think maybe let's just keep it at half, half time, you know? Um, 
which was, I think that was a decision for my sanity because I just don't like, I sure like 10 years ago or five years ago, I was really living like adventure all the time and thinking about it all the time. But it's kind of, I have other, other things now that I'm, I'm interested in. I think would like to reach people on some plane other than like, have you, have you ever, uh, you know, done this sort of rock climbing thing or this sort of mountaineering thing or, or whatever. Um, so what are those things that are taking your interests these days? Oh, uh, it's like creativity and like, you know, the, the non, it's like, I don't want to look at everything through that, that lens, um, of like, so I do this newsletter every Friday. That's literally a collection of links of just stuff I've been looking at or reading or listening to, um, on the internet or books, podcasts, whatever, just stuff I find interesting. And, you know, it's like getting more and more that it has almost nothing to do with the outdoors. And, um, like the video will be somebody doing a mountain bike thing or something, or there'll be an article from adventure journal or outside or something like that. But a lot of it is just like really interesting, fun stuff that people are doing. It's like, I just do, I try to just collect positive things that I find interesting and share them with people. And, um, you know, it seems like that's a good, I don't know. You're, you're only going to capture so many people by always talking about, um, adventure in the outdoors. And I think all of us probably go through different phases in our lives where I've seen people who just sort of age out of following me, you know, like they're, they don't need that anymore, you know, because all I talked about was climbing or running or whatever, and they've moved on because they had a kid or they did, you know, something else with their life. And they're just like not spending as much time on thinking about gear or whatever it is. So, um, so like, I think that's, that's the way of broadening it, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm just interested in like media and creativity and how people create and what they make and art and design even and architecture and music and I don't know, all those things. So, so, so why don't we go way back to the beginning? How did you, even before you were doing all this and making fun of it, how did you get into the outdoors? Like what was your, your introduction and what did you, when did you first start? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Iowa, so we didn't have, I actually just looked this up for a piece I was writing for a trail runner, but, um, I was 49th in the nation at, of having at the amount of public land or percentage of public land. So there's not really, it's, you know, it's just agriculture and roads, um, and people's houses. And, uh, so you didn't really, it's not like you could just go straight to the national forest. I don't even know if we have national forests there, honestly, there must be some, but, um, so yeah, grew up just doing like all American sports stuff. And, uh, we went on, we went to the Colorado to go skiing three times when I was younger. And that was in a couple trips to like Rocky mountain national park maybe. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I ended up going, getting into two grad schools for journalism after college. And one of them was the university of Montana and the other one was Northeastern in Boston. And, um, I think Northeastern was going to be expensive or I don't know what the deal was. Um, but I just decided not to go there and like got decided to come to the university of Montana and we, so I've now moved back to Missoula as of two years ago. And, um, the access to trails here is uh, there's literally trails that begin right at the edge of campus. And like, that's pretty hard to 
avoid. So I got sort of into hiking then, and then by extension of that, like peak bagging, you know, like just hiking to the top of like, you know, any mountain, third and fourth class. And then after that, after I finished school here, I moved to Phoenix for a year and was working at the REI store there, um, who at the, at the time I was probably the least educated member of the staff on the yeah. entire sales floor. Like, it's like a lot I mean, of PhDs and whatever. I know that's like a kind of common joke. Like how many, oh, yeah. yeah, advanced no, degrees I mean, and yeah. I mean, I didn't know shit about sleeping bags. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Like, okay, yeah. it's just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and the guys who worked at the shop there introduced me to rock climbing and there from there, it was just kind of, just kind of took off. Um, and it just became this, uh, with the first freelance piece I ever sold to this magazine, I realized I could write about the things I wanted to do on the weekends anyway, um, and, and maybe make some money at it. And the first year freelance income was like $40. Next year was like 150. I think the next year was 1200. And I'm not sure what it was after that, but it like slow, it was like, this is never going to be a real job. Um, it's, it's been an interesting time to figure out how to make it a real job, but, um, you know, yeah, it was just like, this brings me joy. I think I can communicate about this. Like I didn't want to write about city council meetings and, and stuff that seemed yeah. like it was an option at the time for me as, as a newspaper writer. So, yeah. Yeah. Not, not many newspapers around anymore. What, like 2000 local newspapers or something is, have, yeah. have shut down in just like the last decade. So yeah, yeah very sad to see that happen. It's like you missed the fact that there were people that actually had that job of writing about city council meetings because now they're gone, you know? Yeah. And yep. it's kind of a big issue. And just in general, like you were talking about the paywall and people wanting to earn money for their work. It's like, you know, there was that time when the internet first happened when everyone put started putting stuff up for free. And how much, how bad has that been for, right? Like now, like, because everyone expects everything for free, you know? It's like Napster with music, but for the writing in a similar sense, everyone expects everything to be free you know what i mean but hey the people yeah. that create it have to make a living you know and then, right and that's a that's just because some people do it for free doesn't mean that everyone can do it for free you know yeah 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 and like on the flip side of that it's like things like patreon that um you can be like hey if you want this to keep existing you know if you got two bucks a month i'd love it you know otherwise i gotta go get a real job and uh i've been like that saved my life like honestly like i would not be able to do what i do without having people support me on patreon um so like in that i'm trying to figure out how to make that a more special thing for people and like how to make it more worth people's money so they're not just subsidizing content that i put on the internet anyway and like because um, i'm like a lot of days i'm like yeah maybe i just do this like for these people it's like a few hundred people like that's not bad i think i'll take that um and treat the rest of it like uh sort of uh advertising channels or whatever because like people who love what you do too right it's like... yeah or to the point where they'll be like yeah take two bucks a month like you know or, or whatever 10 or, or whatever people are kicking in um so yeah i don't know it's it's an interesting time it's been an interesting time since like since I started, you know, I remember I was going to do my master's thesis on newspapers and the internet. And I suggested that to one of my professors and he said, he just shrugged and said, can't take it in the John with you. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> at the time it was totally sensible. He's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, you can't. And then sure enough, you know, like five years later we had iPhones and you were checking your iPhone in the bathroom, which, you know, and you could read the New York times there. Um, 
yeah so to go from that to like where where we are now and like seeing people making like millions of dollars on like instagram like uh, you know that's crazy like some of the stuff like i was on a video shoot a couple of weeks ago and we were sh not i wasn't the videographer was using a drone to shoot um this runner and one guy was controlling the actual flying apparatus and the other one was controlling the camera and the flying apparatus and i was just, i just had this moment where i was like man if you could have told 12 year old me this is what i would be like like this shit would be happening right now i would blow my mind like yeah so we're gonna use these two robots you know and like and this thing's gonna fly through the air and it's all completely legal by the way um so, well, depending on crazy. where you use it, of course. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. And, and, Correct. Don't, and they'll catch you. Don't do it in the wrong place because they yes. will catch you. Yeah. That hasn't happened yeah. to me, but it has, I'm not going to name names, but it's happened to one or two people I know. So, so yeah. you want to be careful with that. Yeah, <laughs> as they should. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You should follow those rules very carefully. <laughs> yeah. What kind of, just as another film person, what, what kind of video stuff have you been working on and, and how did you get into that? Um, I started going to adventure film festivals in like, what, 2000. 12 maybe and um i did a voiceover for a piece like i think it was 2013 and i just sort of gradually tried more and more of it um like i think i co-directed my first piece in 2014 maybe and it was literally just like i took a friend to devil's tower and i'm like this guy's this guy who's a guide here is a fucking character we should just go shoot with him for like three or four days and see what we get and um we did and we basically shipped a hard, a completely disorganized hard drive to another friend who had done more filmmaking and he put it together and it was like, I like, I was like, yeah, no notes looks great. You know? Um, so the three of us technically co-directed that and it was either that year or the next year I was at like backstage at mountain film with some other, some real legit like commercial filmmakers. And I asked a friend of mine who does like commercials for like Toyota and stuff like that. I was like, what's the, difference between directing and producing and he goes all he said was you don't want to produce you want to direct and I was like okay and I still don't like I've never read a job description for, for that <laughs> so it's all I don't know I've just been lucky to work with like friends who are like collaborative interested in like making the best thing possible and um, I've learned a little bit from photographers enough to I can like survive and shoot my own little little bits of stuff and make it look decent but like, I think in adventure film, you get such a, you get such a pass because a lot of times the things you're doing, you're not going to be able to take a camera crew back there. You know, you, you're, they're like, oh, GoPro is going to be the best thing we get. If, even if we have a GoPro, might be an iPhone or whatever. Um, so it's a really forgiving environment. I think it always has been to a point. Um, you fill out forest service permits sometimes for like film crew stuff. And they're like, you're like, yeah, we need this permit. We're just going to shoot for two days or whatever. And it's like, how big is your, how many vehicles will you be bringing? How, what's your craft services? How many employees? And I'm like, no, how many cameras? Yeah. They yeah. charge you per camera. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Yeah. Like you see that like, form and it's like, so uh, yeah, it's like you're, well, they were designed for commercial crews. Yes, know? exactly. Yeah, I'm like, you're, thing. Yeah. yeah, you're thinking more like beer commercial I'm, or truck commercial. I'm thinking like one guy with a camera this big, like yeah. running around with my friend and I. Um, yeah. So well, yeah, and then there's just... also like again, this is a, we've talked about this in the past, but 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 on the show, but you know, it's like they'll say like, well, if you're shooting it and you're gonna like sell it, you know, it's 
commercial, right? And therefore, you know, mm-hmm. it's either not allowed or, or you, you know, you have to yeah. pay. But then you go and you're there and there's they're like 700 other people with tripods and the same camera you're using and they're yeah. they're not commercial but it's going on their Instagram, you know, it, it's just it's such a weird the way that yeah. whole thing works now is just so weird and so hard to navigate and you know I know and like the know. forest service and like those oh. government agencies are the last oh my God. to be able to yeah. like have the st- they don't have the staffing to keep no. up with that sort of thing. Like they're not having a meeting being like Hey, we need to talk about Instagram influencers and how they fit into our commercial. You know, it's like they're just trying to survive. So you just, I don't know. And a lot of that stuff, a friend told me one time, like, oh, depending if it's not a big brand, we don't even get permits. You know, he's like, you got to think about how many people are going to actually see it. And like, we got, yeah, like, I got like called out. I, the BLM called me the day after like our film went online a week after our film went online that we shot on BLM land. And I was like, Oh yeah. Hey, so there was no money involved at the beginning when we yeah. were going to shoot this. And then we sold it. And he's like, cool, just fill out this, yeah, you know, that, that, that sounds, permit and, that sounds very familiar to me. Cause our, yes. our, our situation ended up on Netflix. So, Oh you know, yeah. But we, but we like, you know, we, we really, we literally ended up having to go all the way to like the number two at the, the uh, department of the interior. <laughs> Wow. to get clear it was that and it yeah. was two years of that phone calls voice messages oh, man we went through like 10 different jurisdictions i mean it's just yeah. such an a, an impossible thing you know it's 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 a crazy yeah crazy world <laughs> yeah and they like if they had just a million dollars to work on that sort of thing it'd probably be yeah. a much better process or whatever but like yeah yeah, I don't know. Was I think I saw was yours the one REI ended up picking yours up, right? The the Devil's Tower piece. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was fantastic, man. I I didn't realize you were oh, a thanks. part of that. That was I really enjoyed that. That was he was a great character. You guys did a wonderful job on that yeah. piece. <laughs> I hung out with Frank like to do a climbing magazine story in like 2011 or 2012 and they we ran it, but they didn't send a photographer, so they like used archival photos and I'm like we can do better than this and the whole time we were shooting Frank, I'm like, this guy is like hamming it up way too much for the, and I, it came out and I was like, nope, that was actually perfect. He was such a legend. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's an interesting dude. Yeah. But it's also funny too, what you speak to on how forgiving, like, especially with a documentary, I mean, it's all about the story. You know, if you have 10 really beautiful shots in a whole hour and a half long movie people are gonna be like, wow that looked amazing and and no one's even gonna notice all the out of focus soft focus yeah. you know, bad shots or badly framed i mean people that's just how that works you know um and people need don't tend the filmmakers don't tend to be as forgiving because obviously you know every little moment of your of your yeah. piece of work but yeah you can get away with you know a few good looking shots is all you really need you'd be surprised how far that that goes in an entire yeah hour and a half or even or 15 minute or shorter piece <laughs> definitely and then like um you know you want to make it so it's shown in a theater on the banff film festival tour banff mountain film tour but it's like even if even if it's like the most successful banff film of all time it's not going to be seen by that many people even if it goes around the world and gets shown in every location yes that's a ton of people but like largely your audience is probably going to be on youtube and youtube people don't have the patience to sit through this like cinematic entry like intro that lasts like a minute and a half before the credits come on they're like I'm like man i'm watching this shit on my phone i don't got time for this and i'm the same way so it's to, to sort of bridge those two worlds and like make something that's art but still grabs attention is like that's a struggle i guess so yeah yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, it's always hard. It is hard for me. Have, you know, I'm one of the rare people in that this, that kind of world that actually went to film school when it was film school and learned that oh, way. So, so watch. Guy. Yeah, I yeah. know, right? Well, but you watch like some of this YouTube or stuff that's like super popular, and you're like, God, if you just like use a tripod, you know, what I mean? like like simple <laughs> stuff, like just make it this much the sound this much better. You know, it would be so much more watchable, and and they don't, and they still get the popularity so that it doesn't matter i know i know it's hard though it's sometimes hard to see that you know (laughs) i learned i learned right before we did this film or when we were putting together this film we did called how to run 100 miles that rei put some money behind um that for youtube if you have a human face in the first five seconds and you say the word you it gets like the engagement of it is so much higher like how how long people will watch it so our my friend how did you learn that where did you learn that i have no idea but they my friend Aiden, who put it together, who did the 90% of the editing, not all the editing, but he had built this like pretty intense, um, cinematic, like tension filled opening to the film. And he had sent it to, we had sent it to the folks at REI and they were like, oh, we don't think this works. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, how about me brushing my teeth at the beginning of the film and a voiceover of me talking and saying the word you? And I was like, and that was that that bridge that gap, you know, where people were like, okay, I'll I'll watch this for a little bit. Um, we also well, we also learned like when you can. I I've never seen the analytics on it, but yeah. you can see when people drop, drop off, off yeah. and stop watching it is right when my friend Jason's butt appears in the film. Like, um, is, is he self conscious now of that? Just because, no, yeah, yeah. we blurred it out anyway. But it's like so many people just stopped watching right there. And I don't know. So. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's like all this stuff into human psychology and like what we do with our time and attention. And like, you're just like, I just want to tell this story about a guy I know who's interesting. Like, does this really, do we really need to do this? And like, yeah, you do. If you want more people to see it. So tightrope. It's kind of an interesting thing, though, because I think if you do all those things, that doesn't guarantee that people are going to watch it. You know, no, sure, yeah. no. I, I just generally when people when I talk, I'm like, just do what you want to do and people will watch it or they won't. And there's not really anything you can do about it. You can yeah. try to get the word out. You know, luckily you have a following already. So like that, that's a big step in the right direction. But like, you know, I tell, tell your story, do what you want to do. If it, it may or may not be success, it could be amazing and not successful. And I've seen mm-hmm. that. I've seen great movies that didn't get distribution, that didn't do whatever. And a lot of ones that, you know, kind of suck that did. So it's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's just such a crapshoot. Luck is such a big part of it. You know, <laughs> there's well, it's a... like in the early days of social media when people yeah. were talking about going viral, you know, like, oh, this went viral. And so somebody would come to an agency and go, hey, uh, can you put together a viral video for yes. us? You know, yeah. yeah. And it's like yeah. you just can't. It can't do that. You can't conjure that. You know, uh, that yeah. kind of attraction automatically. <laughs> it's sort of. It is sort of magical. It's just that that it happens at all. Yeah, there's a famous book called Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman. Who oh wrote, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, but in that book, I, the main takeaway for me is like one of the chapters. He's like, "How do people know a film is going to succeed?" It's like no one knows. No one has any idea how it's gonna work. And like even even the most highest paid people like at these huge studios, they don't know either. So it's that's great though. You know, it's like I love it because it means you can't just make up for creativity by spending a ton of money or like, you know, people are like, We wanna get the best, you know, cinematographer, we wanna get the best this or the best that and like that's cool. I mean, if you want to, but like at the end of the day, it may not make that much of a difference. So 
Yeah. No, it, it, you know, again, yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird uh, such a weird thing and I've worked with so many executives, you know, both in the tech and in and the in the film TV world that, you know, Oh yeah, we're gonna go, go. This is gonna be viral. We're trying to make this viral, and you're like, okay. And you're just sitting there going, that yeah, famous yeah, good last luck. words. Yeah, right? good luck with yeah. that. You know, good luck with that. Or they're like, oh, this was viral. Let me so know how that works yeah, out for you. This was viral, so let's try to copy that. And you're like, well, the copies of the things that go viral yeah, don't become viral. No it's like you know, you know, and it's like you're up against cat videos, and you know that you know like, uh, damn, Daniel, like who would have you see that? You're like. Like it's entertaining, but how the hell did that become like you know billions and billions of things? It's just a guy saying "damn Daniel" to the guy's shoes, and it's like huge and viral. Like how do you know that's going to become viral? You know, it's like the weirdest, the weirdest yeah. thing. There's no way of predicting it. You know, the guy with the cran- ocean spray cranberry juice on the on the skateboard. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, come on, how does this that's stuff happen? The- I'm going to say, I, I think this episode is going to go viral. Well, let's hope. Oh, yeah, 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 there yeah, we go. Finally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think it comes back to, like, I have this illustration on my wall from, from you that says, doing shit is greater than saying you're going to do some shit. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what it all comes down to, right? It's like just, you know, pressing on, you know, keep keep going, doing stuff, you know. And, and it's not about the reward or going viral or doing whatever but doing you know doing something that you love a few years ago i was excited to see how things did or like how many likes did this get you know because that's what the platforms encourage you to do and more and more i just like making the thing and like my wife's been working on a fiction manuscript for years now and you know she'll every once in a while will say something like oh i can't i just can't wait to get this out the door and see if it will actually sell or whatever and i'm like you know what though when you look back on it this is the magic part even though it sucks every day and you got to get up and like grind it out and you're not sure how to make something work like you're never going to look back on that like oh i i was so happy when i started reading the amazon reviews you know it's like that was such a joy it's like <laughs> yeah. oh man when you were making the thing that's the be- literally the best part you know um that's, so that's so I true know. i mean it's so much like you know about the process, you know, that, and that, that, that your poster, Jeff, and you know, that you did Brennan, which it's so true. It's like any moments of like, sort of like praise or any of that is so fleeting and so small. It's very nice when it happens and it's very good, but man, if you're going to spend thousands and thousands of hours for like the two hours that you're, you know, your movie, your, your own movie premiere, or you're on a panel or you're whatever, <laughs> trust me, that is not an equation that you want it. You got to find, find your enjoyment in the making of things. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, you're just not gonna. It's not gonna be worth it for you, you know, because because obviously, I think all of us can attest. There's far better ways to make money than doing anything in this industry, right? The outdoor industry. That's what my dad (laughs) says. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Half my families are lawyers, and they're all doing pretty well. But you know, they're lawyers, so there's trade offs, right? Yeah, right, right, for sure. Hey, hey, Brandon, I have a question for you about sort of like what does a day in the life of Brandon Leonard look like and and then maybe carrying that forward to like a week in the life a typical week good question I mean it depends what's what is due um like today how about the next week yeah (laughs) geez yesterday I worked for a few hours then took my wife to the airport then came home worked for a couple more hours and then I just started working on building this shelf for a turntable and records and like that just ate up the rest, like five hours of my day. I like looked at my watch again. And I was like, "Holy shit, it's almost yeah. seven. I gotta eat dinner." Um, oh yeah, yeah nice. There we go. Yeah, 
and then today my language on the record player <laughs> today i got up and what, what did i do i started uh drawing this thing i was talking about earlier about energy gel substitutes oh yeah and then i answered emails from like 9 30 to 11 last night and then yeah i got up today and started drawing took the dog for a walk and then had a call with a video project i'm working on did some more drawing signed signed 70 books um to sell yeah i did some more drawing and then i jumped on this podcast with with you guys and uh cool <laughs> yeah i have i have six more drawings to do and um maybe gonna stay in the the turntable shelf and cool. i don't know some days i like have these home improvement tasks that i would rather do that like it, you think about it as stuff you would avoid but it's like it doesn't feel like work to me yeah. like some days the creative stuff just feels like work and lifting weights and i'm like i just find myself avoiding it but yeah. i think working uh seven days a week turns you into that sort of person i don't like take weekends so i'm like yeah I can fuck off my whole Wednesday by like taking this stuff to the dump and like going and buying fence posts and like doing errands and like drilling screws into stuff because I worked on these projects on Saturday and Sunday. So mm-hmm. people at a certain point, I'm not getting paid to work 40 hours. I'm getting paid to make stuff. And honestly, it's if you consider every thought you have that goes into making something work, I work way more than 40 hours anyway. So I'm like out there walking the dog, like, Oh, what should I do? And going for a run. And I'm at the grocery store having ideas or whatever. And like, it takes up a lot of, a lot of time. You just mentioned running. So running's become a huge part of your life. You have books about it now. You've done ultras. Um, what, what inspired you to get into running? And I love the fact that you're sort of like a reluctant runner. It's like, I do this thing and it's like, Oh yeah, I. Um, I don't know if it's I something have, you enjoy, but something you yeah. do. <laughs> I had run a marathon. I mean, I ran track, track in high school, like hundreds and two hundreds, so very short distance. And uh, yeah, I did. Had done a little bit of trail running off and on throughout the years, and then my friend Jason got it in his head that he wanted to do an ultra marathon. And I think we had talked about it before as like this curiosity, like what are you know who are these people who do this? And uh, he signed up. He just kind of was like, oh, I'm going to do it without you. I signed up for this race. And um, yeah, he started talking about a training run he had done, which was like 27 miles or something like that. And it just sounded awful, like total disaster. Everything went wrong. And I something clicked. And I was like, man, this does sound pretty fun. And uh, I ran I ran 10 miles the next morning just around the neighborhood. and was like, if, if this doesn't like break my legs, I think I'll sign up for this ultra marathon too. And so I signed up for 50K and I had done a marathon like nine years earlier, just as like, well, I was trying to quit smoking. So I like ran a marathon to quit smoking, trained for it, ran a marathon. So I knew at 26.2, I knew I could theoretically do that without dying. And 31 miles is only five miles longer. So I figured I'd try it and I survived. I wouldn't say I did great, but you start getting curious after that. Like, well, people do 50 miles, you know, what's that like? And What's been interesting is is that, like, I think about it as my personal, like, take on all of this and experience about it. But really, you're just joining all these fucking weirdos who are out there, like, doing this already. And what I realized going to these races is when you walk around at the beginning of the race, you're like, 
you're not necessarily walking around looking at these incredible physical specimens of people. Like it's not like a bodybuilding competition or an Ironman triathlon. Like a lot of these people, like sometimes I look around and be like, if you put like a softball uniform on all of us, we'd look like a softball, like Wednesday night beer ball league, you know? And then these people just fucking crush you. Like, like you don't want to look around at the beginning of a race and go, Oh, that guy's probably not going to finish or that, that lady will never make it to the end because they'll beat you you know you'll be like how am i still behind this person you know it's like it turns into this thing that's not about being a quote-unquote athlete so and i've seen that at like all levels of races i've done like 100 miles 50 miles 62 miles whatever and um i guess the evolution of it for me is like i've sort of was i don't know if i can blame this on career or like my behavior around with my phone and social media and email and stuff like that but running has become such a uh, refuge from all of that stuff. Like it's the one time I don't, I just put my phone on airplane mode if I'm carrying it at all. Um, and I just run, you know, and I just go and I think, and like if I'm out for two or three or four hours, sometimes I'll just stop and walk and like type some notes about something I was thinking. Like I will literally just stop if I have the thought. Cause I'm like, if I ever go, Oh yeah, I remember that later. Remember to write that down later. It just disappears. It's like, you're like, fuck, what was that? It was like something to do with like breakfast sausage. It was gonna, and it was brilliant, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, it was. You just lose it. So I stop and type things and I'll put the phone back and like, but I never like check my email or text messages on top of a, a you know, on a, top of a mountain or on a trail anywhere like if there's an emergency my phone my wife will call me but like if not like all this shit none of this shit's an emergency you know so um it's become like yeah i like i really look forward to it now um so yeah yeah, it's it seems like it's a good time to like i think you peak endurance wise in your 40s so i'm like sure (laughs) You know, I'm not peaking, but I'm like, I'm definitely, this is the best time to try it, I guess. So, uh, cough syrup, by the way, cough syrup, the, for gels, back to the things. To oh yeah. yeah. Gels, I just thought definitely you know, that popped wanna... in a few minutes ago when you brought it up again, cough syrup popped in my head. Yeah. Maybe I not the drowsy three stuff. Of Robitussin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe not the drowsy <laughs> stuff, although that might make it weird. Right. You never know. That oh, could be an interesting for sure. experience, but you know, for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, tussing, tripping. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. What, um, what is the weirdest place you've ever come up with an idea for, for one of your, your, your ads? Oh, um, gosh. I mean, I've written many a thing in the tent, in a yeah. tent in the back country, just typing on my phone. Um, yeah, I mean, we were, we were doing a film shoot with my friend Ace. He and his dog did a 60 day backpacking trip where he walked out of his house in Boulder, Utah, and then did this huge loop around, um, national monuments, national parks, and, uh, and other, other land, other public land. But my friend Forrest, who was the videographer, cinematographer on the shoot was wearing these like semi short shorts during one day of the shoot. And I was like, Hey man, can you lay on this like picnic table and like get in like this pose? And I just had this idea of like backpacking being sexy and like writing some sort of like sultry personal ad basically around it. And I wrote most of it while walking behind the two of them while we were covering a few miles. And I was like, yeah, this will go somewhere. And <laughs> it's fun, you know, but that's, that's the one, that's one that comes to mind. I'm sure there's weirder ones. Um, <laughs> you had one, I think even recently, like uh, you wrote about the idea thing, right? Where idea, idea, or it happened to my friend. It was like idea 
you know, forgetting yeah. idea. That, that just I was looking at it when I was going through. I saw that one. I'm like, oh yeah, that happens to me all the time. I think I'm it happens to, to most of us. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that one too. I actually yeah. have to look up some of these to like see what they were. Um, do Do you find yeah. that like people quote you things that you don't remember like all the time? Does that happen to you a lot? Yeah, a guy actually asked me a couple of weeks ago, like, "Hey, would you put this drawing on a coffee mug?" And I was like, "Oh, I could probably do that." I have no idea where that came from, though. And he, he tracked it down. He was yeah. like, yeah, it was in this story you wrote. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, yep. And then I, I was able to find it and, and get it to him. Uh, but, like, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just, like, things maybe aren't that, you know, the years are adding up, I guess. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a sign of being prolific, which I think we can we can say at this point you are, right? I mean, after all these years of doing it, I mean, that's a, that's quite a body of work. You should be proud of that. Well, not all of us very high quality, but yeah, thank you. It doesn't mean it's good. No, the low quality yeah. is the best. No, no, not everyone's. Everything everyone does is perfect, you know. Yeah, it's, it's kind of no, you know. Do, do you also find going back sometimes that ones that like ones that you forgot you did that you didn't like at the time, you see it like ten, five years later and be like, oh, you know what, that was actually pretty good. Do you have that kind of experience a lot? You know, I mean, like I'm, it's mostly the other way where I'm okay. like, oh man, that was such a piece of shit. I can't believe anybody read that or yeah. liked that or whatever. And, um, yeah, I the thing that makes me feel better about that is like I listened to an interview with Dave Eggers, the mm-hmm. the writer. Yep. Boy, this was like I think the interview is ten years old, and the mm-hmm. book he was talking about at the time was twelve years old. And yeah, it was a heartbreaking um, work of uh, yeah, yeah Tiger yeah, and Genius. And yeah. Debbie Millman asked him about it. And he's like, oh, I hate that book. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, ouch. Yeah. But it happens to everybody. And uh, that book did really well. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's not into it anymore. And I think everybody's like that. And if you aren't, you're probably not. I don't know. Maybe I bet Kanye loves yeah. everything he's ever done. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like other yeah. than that, and there's yeah. probably some other people like him, like Jared Leto, I imagine, is like that too. But um, yeah. But most people are like, we have this inferiority complex where we're trying yeah. to beat the thing we did last year at least do equal to that or something so that's almost the most important thing though like most of my like i am so hard on my on my own stuff you know what i mean you're like Mm -hmm. you know you kind of have to be that way as well but then you also have to forgive yourself it's such a tough you know (laughs) yeah just (laughs) ship it yeah sometimes you just got to send it out you know regardless of whether or not you're happy with it it's like you got to meet the deadline you know so yeah But then also a lot of times the things that I stress over, I didn't like you, you see it and you're like, you know, it may not be the best thing I've ever done, but it's fine. You know, <laughs> nobody, nobody noticed. Nobody yeah. Nobody else. Yeah. That. Nobody's yeah. like, that's the worst thing you've ever done. I've never got, I've gotten many comments, but that's not one of them. You know, <laughs> yeah. so. I, I'm lucky because I run almost, I would say 99% of the stuff I do goes through my wife, Hillary, and yeah. she is an editor and a writer and has done some filmmaking and stuff. And she generally gets what I'm trying to do. And, I'll say, hey, what do you think about this? Even like tweets. I'll be like, what do you think about this? And she'd say, I think people might say this in response to that. And I was like, oh, I don't want that. And I'll just delete, you know, or she'd read, she'd read my blog every week for since 2012 and, you know, makes it so it's not just this one person. I'm le- I'm way less nervous about it once it passes through her. I'm like, okay, she did not think it was a piece of shit. The other side of that is that everything I do that I think is funny, I'll like hand her something that I've drawn. I'll be like, what do you think? And I'll be waiting and she'll be like, yeah, that's funny. And hand me my phone back. (laughs) Yeah. It looks looks like you think it's, yeah, it's really funny, huh? You're barely keeping it together. I'm laughing Uh, inside. Yeah. 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 
so she's just used to it at this point and like it's like now i gotta come up with a whole separate set of jokes for you because you're so used to all this other shit so yeah. <laughs> it's tough she's a tough crowd at this point so yeah which is good i think keeps no absolutely yeah keeps yeah. you know you know and you know if you do get her to laugh then it must be like really brilliant right yes yes but often it's just like a joke that works for one specific person which is her so yeah, it's like yeah. you can't use it again but yeah yeah whatever yeah so, so you had a, a recent post about your company's creative process and how you manage that. And um, one of the one of the uh, frames in the illustration was something about your your productivity is measured by the number of browser tabs you have open at any moment. So, how many browser tabs do you have open right now? And and same for you, Severia, Jason. Let's so let's see where who's the most productive here. Why well, have Two, two, I have both Safari and and uh, Chrome going. Let's see. I, I probably have... Uh, I only have seven. Oh, God. I'm I not have, very productive. I have 19. Uh, oh! I think I, I have... I have 19, too, in four different windows. I think, I'm going to close oh, some man. of these because you a know lot what? of them were related to this podcast, so I don't, I don't yeah. need to have them open. I'm, I'm going to win. I'm going to win, but I'm going to stop counting because it's not particularly good uh, podcast or radio or audio medium, but I'm already at, like, 22. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, well, I have I, like several projects going and I keep them kind of compartmentalized, right? So I'll have like 10 on one and one might. Jason, you're so productive. And, I know. Well, yeah. <laughs> my friend, my friend Forrest. Yeah, I'm, I'm juggling three jobs right now. Yeah. 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 Right. Like how many gigs, how many side gigs do you have open right now? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> my friend Forrest, who I've done a bunch of filmmaking and other, we did a book together. We're direct opposites in like, uh, almost every way, but I remember sitting in a coffee shop with him and I asked him about something like, Hey, did you fill out that thing or whatever? And I looked over at his computer and he goes, Oh yeah. And he clicked on something and I just watched the browser tabs like scroll. And it was like, he had, it was like he had a hundred open and it popped up and I was like, Holy shit. Like I am, I'm okay, you know, and like, <laughs> whatever. He gets stuff done. He survives. He makes a living. So, yeah. It's, yeah. The funny thing but is, because then, like, yeah. I'll minimize, like, like I, I didn't even make it to my dock where I have, like, two or three more going, and I was over 20. But it's like, you know, I keep, you keep them compartmentalized, right? So this job, I have th these seven or eight, ten, you know, might be a stock footage site and a music site and a whatever. You know, yeah. but I have like all those minimized over there too. So God only knows how, how many, you know, I don't, I wouldn't do all in one though. That, that, that would be hard for me, you know, cause then you got to like, you know, but then you also find funny stuff when you open those. Cause like, you know, if you're in that little group, you'll, you'll, you know, and you search something weird that one day, like, you know, cast iron skillet. So you'll have all these productive sites and then there'll be like a bunch of Amazon listings for cast iron skillets. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's always kind of fun to find the, uh, what was I thinking about when I did the last time I worked on this three weeks ago? <laughs> uh, apparently Jason's in the market for a cast iron skillet. So if any of our listeners yeah. want to you know, chip in, you know, there, there we go. I already yeah. bought one. So apparently I oh, was ah, too late. That, yeah. yeah. I was researching and then I, then I made the purchase. About it. So yeah. yeah. And then forgot about it. So <laughs> that's great. They are great though. Cast mm. iron skillets. If, if you're not, you know, hip to that, they're, they're pretty fantastic. <laughs> hey, you've got a, a, a marathon coming up. Is that correct? Um, I am, I am like, recovering from a back injury right now um so i just started running again like a week ago um so i'm like 
I've been, I haven't run for two months, so I'm not really sure what I'm doing this year. I might try to do the New York marathon if I get in. Mm. Um, cause it's my friend Sid's last one. I think this will be his 13th or 12th. Oh, wow. And he's like, I'm done after this year. So I'm going to try to show up for ah, that. Okay. Um, but other than that, I don't have any plans besides getting back in shape to go what? do my regular stuff. Go do things. Yeah. You need to yeah. get a pretty fast time to qualify for New York, right? Like what, what kind of, what Oh no, your... it's a, it's a lottery. Oh, so, it is. Okay. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And it's, that's impossible to get. I've tried like five years and never one year I got in because somebody gave me a media pass last right. year. I got in because I raised a ton of money for the American cancer society, oh, which cool. I'm fine doing that. Yeah. I'm that's just great. Like, yeah. Um, it's a little less work if I would just get in the lottery. So, um, We'll see. I don't well, know. Wouldn't everything in life be less work if you just won the lottery, though, right? Yeah. That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> Other than fighting off all your friends and relatives coming to exactly. ask you for money. But, yeah. Yeah. More money, more problems. Yeah. Blessing and a curse, right? Yeah. Do you have any other, like, goals for running-wise? Like, what, what, what would be your, like, ideal thing other than the marathons? Yeah. Um, no, I was supposed to do a – yeah. I was supposed to do the UTMB, the, the CCC, which is the – 100k race in the utmb and i just haven't haven't made it work it was the year i was going to do it was 2020 and it got canceled and then i've sort of postponed the registration a couple times now i'm just like i don't know if i actually want to do that anymore um so i don't know i'm i just have fun with it it's more like tourism for me where i get to go do a race and see what things are like in a certain place or whatever so yeah we'll see i'm i'm really chill about planning at this point because i don't know how fast i'll get back into shape so yeah yeah no rush but yeah and this has been really a, a pleasure chatting with you and hearing a little bit about your process and learning what makes you tick and um you know kind of who you are and i i can't you know i love to share your stuff and i'm hoping that oh, um you know we can maybe introduce a few more people to your work yeah and your writing and your illustrations are always a lot of uh inspiration and fun and uh, so where can people find you we kind of talked about semi-rad but like where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and uh, find your books and your merch and all that good stuff yeah semi-rad.com is my website and all of my social media handles are some version of that semi underscore rad basically on twitter and instagram um and i am not on tiktok as previously <laughs> discussed so or at least not as semi-rad right just you don't look like another, yeah. yeah there's like a secret <laughs> yeah. now now there's like a His secret, pseudonym yeah like off yeah. air we're gonna ask you again if you have a tiktok handle and I'm yeah sure we're gonna oh find man some mm. kind of weird weird stuff well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media on Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the almost there adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at adventure us women. That's adventure us women, Jeff at the SoCal hiker or me at the mirror project. Our title track almost there is performed by Opus orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, we talk to hiking guide and Cairn Connection founder, Beth Jeffrey. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.